Father, I um, come to you this morning, and uh, Father, um, so many times I I pray that um, your will would be done, and Father, I do that this morning in our time together. And Father, as you know, I've lifted up the people that will be here this morning. I pray that you would accomplish your purposes. Father, I want to uh, just um, ask you one more time that you would uh, bring here who you want to be here this morning, Father, and that you would... Um, take um, each one of us and that you'd sift our hearts. Father, I pray that um, your word would penetrate our souls. I pray that um, we would not just see this as words on the page, but that you're intimately involved in um, the very guard, uh, shepherding and, and guarding our souls. And Father, we thank you that um, we can entrust ourselves to a faithful creator because you do all things well and that you are righteous in all your ways, and that our understanding of your um, your character um, will um, actually change how we respond to these things in our hearts. Father, give us the bigger context of your kingdom as opposed to our kingdoms. Give us the, the, the raw sensitivity of our um, own wanderings and our own ways. And Father, Convict um, us of of sin in our own hearts, where we do not measure up to your passionate, longing desires um, desires for us to become like your son. Pray that you would uh, transform as a result of um, not just a study, but that what you're teaching us. You'd transform our hearts to um, want you more than anything else, Father. We. We ask these things and somehow we think that they're going to come our way because without the pain and without the challenges and without the um, hard areas that need to be worked on. And yet, um, Father, we we ascribe to you this morning the praise that's due your name because you are the one who determines whether they're necessary. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you um, no matter what. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart in our time this morning, Father, um, be acceptable to you, and I pray that you would use um, me the right questions to ask and the right observations to make, and that you would help each one of us understand um, this journey that we are all on, and that you bring us um, closer to you, and that you would rapture our souls about um, your very character and your very being. Father, may, may we move beyond where we've been take us to a place that never been. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, as we think about uh, a couple things here, um, let me throw a few uh, slides here. Um, we are going to be, just give you a context of where we're at and where we're going in the equip hour. Um, the end of this month, we um, are finishing up our part two of this study we're in on the, uh, our model of in the midst of suffering, and then um, uh, the next uh, I think it's let's see here yeah four four Sundays we will not be meeting um, uh, as an equip hour, so um, that's this coming Sunday the sixteenth, um, the week of Christmas, the week of New Year's. And then the first week of uh, January, uh, the 6th, also. 
So then we will um, be we're going to be starting the new year um, off on the 13th, and um, we are in the middle of uh, preparing to launch in an all new Equip Hour. Um, we're really excited about this. Um, we've been working very hard with um, all the students and all the children's ministries, and the um, you know. So if I step back, right, um, one of the things I brought uh, to the leadership was that, you know, that we're really missing some things, I think. We're missing one key thing in, in, how, in, the, in when we talk about the, the cornerstones of what we are as a church. You know, we, we talk about, you know, um, Sunday morning, which is, you know, um, I'll call it celebration. You know, it's, it's about worship together uh, in the community, right? And then there's... Um, there's a community itself, community groups, um, that uh, we want everybody to be committed to those two things. But the, the third one, which has kind of not been on you know, front and center, has, is what I, I talked to them about, was like training. You know, we need training, not teaching, training. And so there's a difference between the two, and we've talked a little bit about that before in here, which is moving from just knowing about stuff to really, you know, Exhortation, admonition—you know—of uh, the Word of God in our hearts to to make us more like Christ. Um, and so, where does that happen? You know, I mean, it happens scattered. You know, that kind of thing. But 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 where it really like comes together is 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 in times of training um, and teach, teaching and training. Not not going to say one or you know only one, but both there. So that has to be with our, with our children, that has to be with our student ministries, that has to be with our adult ministries. So um, they, they agreed. They said that's, that's true. And so we, we've been thinking and, and planning how to get that really going and, and make the 9 o'clock hour the equip hour for the church uh, in total. And so we will be uh, launching an all-new children's, an all-new students, an all-new... Um, Adults um, ministry. We will continue in in, in first, first Peter. Um, first Peter will go, take us all the way through the very last week of May um, for chapter four. We will pick up again in the fall uh, in chapter five, and we will then go chapter five through Second Peter. Um, that will be kind of the main core track that's going on in the Equip Hour. On top of that, we will be launching in January. Um, uh, a hot topics class that will be messaged, you know, ahead of time. What's coming and when that, you know, what's what those topics are, and so the, that also will go through the end of May. Um, there'll be multiple places and teachers that will be rotating through in our desire to want to grow and develop an, another whole level of teachers in in our uh, adult teaching ministry um, and training ministry. So that's exciting, and um, along with that. Um, we will be most likely also um, in certain places there uh, inserting what, what we're going to call workshops. And workshops are going to be four to six weeks of, let's say I'm workshop leader, I would be pulling, this would be a workshop. We'd have four to six people who, who, who don't want to know as much about why to do something and what to do something, but the more how to do something. So... Lots of examples. I can, keep, I can talk about this all day long. But uh, studying the Word of God. How do you study the Word of God? I mean, how do you feed yourself? Now, I have somebody else feed you, but you feed yourself. We would just do that. I'm doing it right now with the, um, two couples right now. But we'll do that. 
actually do it, you know, together, and and uh, learn together how to do that. Um, another another example might be I'm you know I'm struggling, you know, with a specific area of of need in counseling or something, you know, and pull small group together and we'll work through that kind of thing. That's that'll be by invitation. It'll also be by, you know, here's something we're getting going, you know, would you like to be a part of it kind of thing. So that's another whole dimension of the training process that we're going to go through all, all in. Um, during the summer, though, um, which is going to be June, July will be off, and probably August, uh, that will be set aside for two things. One is to equip people to become better at ministering to people um, from the standpoint of counseling and giving counsel. The second part of it will be to minister to people who need counsel, counseling, it, it, more in a workshop fashion also. So lots of great things coming, I think, and I ask you for, for um, uh, pray for wisdom as to you know what's needed, how we need it, how we do it, and do it well. So a little bit about that. Any questions or thoughts? Makes sense? Yeah. Any thoughts? Or? You guys just you can stay here, you know, and <laughs> the Peter study if you want. <laughs> That's where I would like you. <laughs> and, uh, we have the high schoolers. The high schoolers are going to be. They're in the. They're going to be in the topics class. In the topics. Most class. likely. And oh, what okay. we've done is taken the topics and 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 we're going to do them in such a way that that they'll be non-age. We've tried to spec- do the topics in such a way that they're non-age specific. Have 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 their own yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but I, I, I'm really excited about the high school and the adults kind of mixing it up a little bit. Um, it should be really good. Yeah. Good. Um, well, we've been in a study on First uh, Peter here and uh, talking about how to navigate life. Um, last time, our learning objective on the top of page two Um is the same learning objective that I want for this week, which is, you know, that we commit to follow an example of what biblical submission looks like um, before we encounter daunting situations in our lives so we will navigate them in such a way that God is pleased and He gets the glory. So that's, that's my um, learning objective for us today also. So this is part two of uh, part one and part two. Um, and if you just look at the title of our time, it's Our Model in the Midst of Suffering, part two. Last week was about um, what we call our substitute, or our, our standard in suffering. Okay, which is Christ, our model, our our example, our um, our standard. Um, as I read these uh, verses out loud, First um, Peter two twenty four and twenty five, and He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, that we might die to Him to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds we are, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So just in quick uh, reminder of what we covered last week, we looked at our standard for suffering. Um, and in doing so, we talked about it as an introduction that Christ is our model. We looked at the fact that persecution and suffering have been promised to us, to each one of us who desire to want to um, be, become more like Christ. Whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in you know the government and civic authorities, whether it's in our home, whether it's with our spouses, whether it's with um, uh, um, uh, our neighborhood, um, uh, whether it's our children, children sometimes wanting to glorify God and maybe they, their parents don't, 
um, a spouse one to another. Um, lots of different contexts where, where Peter is going to bring this out. Um, and uh, we said that um, as a standard for suffering, that Jesus' uh, suffering was similar to ours. Uh, he left us an example for us to follow. That example is even um, Dietmar brought up this morning is, was, was in, in unmerited suffering. You know, it's unmerited suffering. So many times we, we have a hard enough time just with, with merited suffering. You know, it, but uh, unmerited suffering is the example that he gave us. And, and, it's, and when we say that he gave us as an example, verse 20, um, <clears throat> verse 21, you have been called for this purpose, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, okay? Really is the, is the word that we get for tracing. So tracing his... His, his steps, tracing his example, um, putting tracing paper underneath a, an alphabet and, and going like this. That's how the children used to learn how to make their, they make their, um, you know, their, their characters. Well, that's the same word that we get um, example from. So he has been given us an example for us to trace our, quote, steps as we walk along, um, which is um, his, our footprints, our tracks, our our. Are my tracks, are my footprints closer to where Christ walked, or are they way off, way off track? Um, that's a key thing. And then um, how Christ responded, he, he did not respond in, as we said earlier, um, he, 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 no deceit was in his mouth, he did not revile his, um, you know, could he give back what he, he was given. Um, uh, he, uh, um, we, we saw that he, did, he committed no sin, and he uttered no threats, um, but the, those were the pot, those were the negative things. Those are things he did not do. But the things that he did do were what that he kept entrusting himself um, to to one who judges righteously. And I just want to call it out as we begin our time together. And I, I think I mentioned it, but I just want to make make it really clear. One of the key things that I learned in this this verse here of one who judges righteously. How, how do you come to conclusion that you can entrust oneself to one who judges righteously if you don't know him very well and know that he is fully worthy of being a righteous, faithful creator? Um, I, I think that is one of the big takeaways of this verse. I really do. Um, because if when I find that I don't do that and I am responding the way um, I normally do... Um, which is my natural self, um, I don't have my mind around the fact that God is a faithful creator and that he, that he judges righteously. I mean, the fact that he judges righteously has a, has a dimensional aspect of me thinking about him very highly. Okay? The second is that I, I choose to submit my desire to want to respond to him who will do it rightly, right every time. Th- that's an act of my will. The first is an act of, of, of knowledge, which is to take on to my mindset that he's high and lifted up and that he has the ability to do this. The second is that I actually, is an act of my will, that I actually give it to him. Those are two components, I think, that are really important to call out here. Any thoughts on that? Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, good. So um, let's move to our substitute in suffering then, our substitute. He says, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. That's our substitute. He's our substitute. And then the second, verse 25, our shepherd through suffering, for you were continually straying like sheep, 
but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So last time we got together, we just quickly talked about verse 24, how it really expresses the reality of Christ's substitutionary death, that He did it on, uh, on our behalf. We looked at the word redemption, um, which is this voluntary substitutional act of Christ that He paid with His own blood to purchase us from our former life of forced slavery to sin, whose sting or consequences is death, into volitional obedience to God, which is freedom, and whose gift is eternal life. So that whole process is called redemption. Um, Justification was the next one we looked at, which is kind of this legal and formal acquittal or pardon from guilt, um, pronouncing us um, as children of God. Um, And uh, um, the the third one here was reconciliation, which is the process or the yeah, the process of be making us friendly again. We were, according to Paul in, in Ephesians, we are hostile to God, and now He has made us friends again. Corinthians, we have the ministry of quote reconciliation. That's the ministry that's been handed to us by God. And then, last but not least, is propitiation, which is our deliverance from wrath, the wrath of God on sin by Christ's blood spilling work on the cross. Propitiation. Four big words. Kind of really important as it pertains to this verse that he himself bore our sins on his in his body on the cross. So let's move on from there and uh, pick up where we left off. So he says he himself um, bore our sins. Um, this really stresses um, the fact that uh, Jesus um, died voluntarily and without coercion. Voluntarily and without coercion. Let's take a look at John chapter ten, verse fifteen together. John chapter 10, verse 15. Would somebody read verse 15 and 17 through 18? John 10, 15, and then 17 through 18. Anybody? Yeah, 10, 15, and then 17 and 18. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And And 18. This reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I up again. Okay, so what's significant about the fact that Jesus says, no one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative, do you think? What's significant about that? Yeah. He has the... He has the... Um, he, he has the power um, to lay his life down and to pick it back up again, which is all encapsulated in, in him, his person, um, which is amazing. So that alone says that he has the keys to death and life. Yeah. What else? Pilate, correct. You're not, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he said on the cross too, right? It is finished. And then he said he gave up his spirit. Right. What else, maybe? Uh And he's choosing. Exactly. To go through the whole thing. Right. Exactly. Because he has the ability at any given time to call it off. You know, know, as the song says, call down thousands of angels or whatever, right? Um, But he chose not to um, do that. Amen. Um, So he was not coerced. He did it voluntarily. Um, which I think you know almost takes that whole process of of his death, his 
you know, on the cross and and everything too. Just another whole level of amazingness um, about His love for me. Um, just an amazing thing. Um, any other thoughts there? Okay, so He was the only uh, He was the only sufficient sacrifice for the sins of all who would ever believe. He was the only sufficient sacrifice. So not only did He do it voluntarily, but His Sacrifice was the only sufficient um, mediatorial, let's say, um, sacrifice for the sins of all who would ever believe. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy together, 2, 5, and 6. 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. Okay. The one God, one one mediator um, between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. He gave us himself as a ransom just for believers. Is that what it says? <laughs> God so loved the whole world. Right? The whole world. Amen. Um, chapter 4, verse 10 says what? Right? Pretty powerful verse. Um, Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Um, Hebrews 2, nine. Hebrews 2, verse 9 says... I, I I love this verse, <laughs> um, but we do see Christ, who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for every one. Taste death for every one. Amen. Um, and then verse 17, uh, Therefore he had to be made li- like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. How, why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Or really the, the children back in verse 14, who, who he shares flesh and blood with. Okay? So, if I were to ask, um, if I were to ask this question of, uh, that, that we had on the front page, we didn't quite all get to, but why did Jesus bear this, our sins on the cross, do you think? Why did Jesus bear our sins on the cross? He could satisfy, well, the old covenant, though. You know, it was just too much for any of well, them. I mean, mm-hmm. Well, the, the passage in Peter there just gives us the specific answer, doesn't it? What, what is what is the answer, along with the fact that why why Jesus had to do it, but why did Jesus do it? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We're going to unpack that a little bit more this morning. <laughs> it all de- it all depends on how the emphasis is on the right syllable, right? <laughs> why why not? Why did Jesus? <laughs> Uh, the cross. <laughs> I, I get it. It was my bad. So I take you down off the hook there, Deepmar. <laughs> so he bore our sins in his body on the cross. It means that he um, uh, uh, he carried a gigantic heavy weight of sin. He carried a gigantic heavy weight of sin. This sin is so massive uh, that Paul says the whole of creation groans and suffers. Whole of creation groans and suffers underneath the weight of it, and only Jesus could remove such an immense weight from the backs of those he who he elects, who he elects. Um, let's turn to Hebrews nine twenty seven and twenty eight. Hebrews nine twenty seven and twenty eight. <clears throat> 
Somebody read that out loud. And just as it is appointed for man to once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So this process of a dual return, or a dual coming, um, was all in God's master plan. The first coming really to um, be um, the sacrifice for sin. Um, once for all time. And then the second, according to this, not to bear sin, but to those who eagerly await Him for salvation. You know, I asked myself a question, you know, how eager am I about His return? Or am I like duly duped and conned into this world? You know, I, I struggle with that all the time. And I, I try to ask myself that question just to sift my soul regularly, daily. Um, and uh, I think far too often I find myself so interested and concerned and passionate about things that really don't matter in my life. And, and I think um, that is uh, telling of my soul. It's telling of, of where my thoughts are uh, or what takes up my thoughts. And so many times. And so, um, what about you? What about you? I would say that's another benefit of trying to try there are, There's hardly any other hope, is there? Yeah. No. I, and I, 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 I so appreciate you connecting the dots back because that is exactly where I wanted to go with it, which was I find that my greatest hope in the midst of crises and trials and suffering is... is, is, is the living hope that we talked about in chapter 1 that's laid up before for us. Um, it, I, there isn't any hope in this world. My goodness, there's nothing. Um, there's hope in that we might see the glory of God revealed through things, but that's about it. Um, really about it. Um, other thoughts? And, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Opened up. Yeah. And, and, and I'll suggest, you know, I mean, I think, I, I really do believe that First Corinthians is all about, um, when he says, you know, no eye has seen, no ears heard, you know, it's really about us really coming astonished at what's behind the veil, um, is the best way I put it. Is, is, am, am, I, am I in the process of becoming astonished of what lies behind the veil? Um, because behind the, behind the veil, just you know, as a metaphor, right, is is the presence of God, and so where God is is where heaven is. And so, am I am I astonished about what is behind the veil? It's not heaven. It's it's a person. <laughs> it's Christ. He happens heaven happens to be where he is, <laughs> you know. And, and I'll suggest you know my soul at peace is where he is also. In the midst of that situation, other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. From the trial. Oh my goodness! I appreciate you bringing that up, Dietmar, Just because I mean that was chapter one. That was like there is purpose in these in this in this thing. There is, and 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 I need you to remind me of it. I, you need me to remind me of it. You know, when we're in the middle of it, because sometimes we lose our lose our brains. <laughs> They're out in left field. We forgot completely. Um, but it's so amazing to me when we right-size our problems with the glory of God 
and his kingdom and his person. It, everything can change in a heartbeat, in a moment, just like that. And um, that's what I think the author of Hebrews um, commands us, encourages us, exhorts us, admonishes us, you know, not to forsake the assembling of the believers even more as you see today. Amen. Um, so, uh, this weight was immense. It was huge. It was all in. Um, uh, he says that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Turn with me to Hebrews, or I'm sorry, Romans 6. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Romans 6 today. I think um, this is literally the the double click, if you would, if you're using a computer term, the double click on uh, this verse of verse 24 in 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 First uh, Peter, chapter two. Um, let's read out loud. Uh, George, you're doing a great job reading loudly. Um, could you read um, verses three through fourteen of Romans six? Okay. Do not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin brought to nothing so that we would pay to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your God as instruments of righteousness. And 14? For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not law, but under grace. Okay. So, do me a favor. Verse 24 that we looked at says, Jesus died so that we might not sin, and that we would live for righteousness. Right? Okay. So, wrap up this these verses we just read in your own words. What, what, what is he saying? So, so sin has no control over us. Why? Because Christ died for our sins on the cross. Okay? So, big point number one. Sin, has no, sin no longer has mastery over our souls anymore. It used to, he said. I mean, the, the very assumption of it says it used to, Right? And now he says it does not have to be that way anymore. Okay, what else? Mm-hmm. Yes, so now since that is true, his therefore statement in verse 12 is, do not present your the members of your body, your eyes, your ears, your thoughts, your tongue, your actions, your hands, uh, 
as, as a slave to sin, uh, do not present it to sin. What, what does that look like and mean? Just, just practically, what does that, what does that mean? How is it? What do you, what is he saying there? Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 Very good. Very good premise. So the premise that we're we're coming out of the gates with is we we no longer are master over, by or by mastered by, present yourselves as as slaves to life, not death, because what we're going to see in another section here is that that 100% of the time, those things that we did before end up in, I'll call it, in our vernacular as believers, experiential death. Experiential death, which means a lack of intimacy with God. Okay, So 100% of the time they go there, why would you ever want, submit yourself to, and you have all the resources um, that you need to say no to sin, and and to and to draw upon in order to get out from it from within. I mean, even First Corinthians, right? No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God will, with that temptation, also what make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Right. So, key. James 1, right? God tempts nobody. But okay, but he will, you know, here's the process of temptation. Oh, by the way, 100% of the time it ends in death. 100% of the time it ends in death. Okay? So, same thing. Any other thoughts? Verse 11 is interesting because he says consider yourself. The idea is reckon like, act like. Um, it's the idea of cognitively make a decision to do it this way. So it's not about your feelings in, anymore. It's about deciding upon, making decisions. Our decisions will create um, our intimacy with God. Um, not, not, not the other one. Not, 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 not giving in to sin. Any other thoughts? And that which what God has given us. The umbrella, I call it, right? Yeah, try to get outside on the umbrella. It will not go well for us. Um, good. Yeah. Verse 8, we shall also live with him. So many times we think that this process and these words about life are talking about eternal life. And we can look through this whole passage and this is all about life here. It's about experiencing intimacy with God. It's about abundant life. That's what that is. And are we tasting it day in, day out? Once you've tasted it, like you are never happy without continually trying to taste it again. It just... It, it, nothing else satisfies. Nothing else fulfills. Nothing. So, you know, am I am I craving intimacy with God? Is that really where I'm living? That's my question for myself. Um, he says, might die. This is a word that's not normally used for die. It's only used here in the scriptures. It actually means to be taken away from, to part, be missing, cease to exist. Jesus died to separate us from the penalty of sin so that it can never again condemn us. You know, there, there, um, no, you know, no condemnation uh, has, it can come our way anymore. Um, our guilt has been nailed to the cross and Jesus has paid it in full. Um, uh, we have been delivered from sin's dominating power and are now able to live to righteousness. So, George, pick up where you left off there in 16 and take us through 22, if you would. 
in Romans um, 6, 16-22. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which death, or of obedience, which the righteousness... But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the Uh, 2.22. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms of limitations. For just as you once vented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at those from the things which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to salvation. And Amen. So wrap that one up now. Describe what he's saying here. It comes on the backdrop of verse 15, which is, so then should we, because grace abounds, can, should we sin so that sin can abound? And his point is, no way, Jose. Okay, point number one. Point number two is, why would you ever do that? There still is experiential death as a believer. There still is that. There still is death. It's not eternal. It's not spiritual. But it is existential. It is experiential. And it has to do with intimacy with God. And so, why would you ever want death? Why would you ever make a choice that ends up in death, knowing, knowing, knowing these things? You should want life. We should want life. Um, present your members of your body as slaves to that, to life. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Am, am I ashamed of things that cause death in my life? Um, am I really ashamed of them? Why do I want to do them still? Why do I want to continue that? His point is, we should not. Um, and to glue ourselves to those things that bring life. Um, so, um, he says, by your, but for, for by his wounds you were healed. Wounds here are, are referred to as a suffering which brought... Christ's death on our behalf of our sins. Isaiah is not saying that the actual suffering or the scourging of Jesus produced salvation. Um, he's saying that it's because he died for our sins, not the physical act. In fact, if anything, it would be the emotional act that he had to uh, do because of taking our sins upon him. Um, he says you were healed. This healing is spiritual for our souls today. Um, the great news is that one day um, it will be physical also. Um, it will be physical also. Um, Romans eight twenty two through twenty five. Um, just turn a couple pages over from where you are there, if you're still there. He says, "For we know the whole of creation groans and suffers the chains of pains of childbirth to, together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see." With perseverance, we eagerly, eagerly wait for it. Every place I go in the scriptures where hope is described, this idea and this concept of eagerness, or or even Peter uses the language of you know um, angels like on tiptoes trying to get us get us get a perspective of it. 
It's like hope. Hope eagerly. Hope eagerly. It will transform our, 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 our souls. He says, therefore, you continue straying like sheep, verse 25, but now you've been returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So this process of continually straying like sheep is, um, it describes through analogy the wayward, the lost, the purposeless, the dangerous and helpless wandering that we have as, as sinners. Um, it is, it is um, I love that word purposeless. I find that when I'm sinning, I have no purpose in my life. My purpose is about about pleasing myself. That's it. That's about it. I, I, I have nothing more beyond, beyond that when, the, when I'm in that space. Um, purposelessness of it. Um, and the great news is that one day this will also be physical. Um, you know, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he says that uh, because Christ rose, you know, as first fruits, we also will rise. And, and that he will continue that process until all those who he has um, to rise will rise. And that after that, he will deliver up the keys of the kingdom to the Father. And so that concludes that whole process of him being the shepherd and, and will extend into you know, uh, eternity. Um, you know, I think of, uh, uh, he says, but now you have returned. The idea of returning is the idea of repenting. It's the idea of turning around. It's the idea of like completely going a different direction uh, in our lives. Um, so <clears throat> he says, uh, do this to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Um, the analogy of God as our shepherd is both a familiar and rich theme in Scripture. Look at First um, Peter chapter 5. Uh, he says, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So he's called the chief shepherd. He's called the good shepherd. Um, I think there's one more shepherd he's called. Good shepherd. Um, good shepherd. Chief shepherd. There's one more shepherd he's called. I forget that, uh, just now. But, but it's, not a, it's, a, it's a theme that, that, that impregnates all of the Old Testament and the New Testament um, there. And he says, Jesus identifies himself as God when he took the divine title and named himself the Good Shepherd in John 10. Um, uh, the shepherd is an appropriate title for Jesus because it conveys his role. And his role is one of feeder, to feed, to lead, to protect, to cleanse, to restore, to care for um, those who are his flock. Any thoughts about um, why, um, you know, if he's the shepherd and he says he's the shepherd of our soul? He says we are continually straying like sheep. What's the significance, you think, of him using uh, the, the analogy or metaphor of us as sheep? What, what's, uh, what comes to mind there? Yeah, I tell you, I can't get that out of my mind on a regular basis, I know. Um, all the help we need because we're so stupid. Yeah. Defenseless? Yeah. What else? Pardon me, naive? Go right towards the dangerous and... Bad and there's no good in. Can't see that clearly. Yeah, can't distinguish. Can't can't discern. Not, sheep don't have discernment. Um, yeah, they're property. They're yep. Like there you go. Followers. Yeah, like they're followers. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, you don't have to turn to it, but in that same passage in Hebrews 12, um, let me read that for you. It says um, that if we don't, um, 
he says, you know, talk about strengthening the hands of the weak, the knees are feeble. He says, make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Interesting. So if we continue down this road and we aren't listening and we won't, we don't get it, then he's, he's going to insert himself and do apply pressure in whatever way he so chooses to make sure that we get it. Um, which won't usually be... I mean, I, I don't like it when he breaks my knees, breaks my limbs, breaks my joints. It's happened many times in my life, and I can tell you I, do nev- I never want that to happen again. Never. Um, uh, reminds me of this, this third verse of Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, right? O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter by my wandering heart to thee. There you go. That's the, that's, that's the how not to, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, I'll take and seal it. Seal it for your courts all above. Amen. Well, he says, to the shepherd and guardian of your, to, uh, guardian of your souls. Uh, the, the word, um, this word guardian is also translated bishop or overseer. Bishop or overseer. And it literally describes the responsibility of pastors and elders. Um, in our in our lives. So, what's what is in summary? Just in closing here, um, three things: um, by His death and resurrection on our behalf, Jesus has become the shepherd and the guardian of our eternal souls. How cool is that? That I can look to Him as my shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's my shepherd, and He's the chief shepherd. And the fact that He is my shepherd, you know, I know He cares for me. He feeds me. He guides me. He leads me. Um, he cares for me. Um, the fact that he's the fact that he's my um, guardian um, says that uh, he's going to protect me. Going to protect me. So you see all the dimensions of need that I have personally wrapped up in those in those names as the shepherd and guardian of my soul. And secondly, just as um, even though I continually we continually stray, he is. I love this language. He's fully vested. <laughs> he's. He's, he's more vested than I am in the fact that he's going to um, bring me safely home. Um, last but not least, in, in his suffering, Jesus became our example to follow. And, you know, and I guess my question then for, for each of us is, you know, will I decide today that I will follow in his footsteps in the future or the current, either current or the future, you know, challenges and suffering and, and, and situations and circumstances, discipline of the Lord that he's got me in right now. Um, will I follow Christ's example in my current and future situations? Um, application. Last, number six. Sixth question. What application can you make as a result of the fact that Jesus is, is your guardian? Or he, he's your, he's our, your shepherd and he's the guardian of your soul. Any thoughts in closing? I have lots. But <laughs> yes, exactly. Amen. Why do we go anywhere else? Amen, amen, amen. Yes. I'm so glad that you know, especially mother, that children so on fire for the Lord. I said that trust. I trust him. Yeah. That no one ever knew. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Lisa, we were talking about this earlier, right? Yeah. Um, other things. Fall. Oh. <laughs> the fire.
Yeah. Amen. I suggest home is where where, where God's what presence better, is. Just yeah. a better state. Yep. Exactly. Amen. Amen. Any other thoughts? I put down, um, I don't want to wander anymore. I don't want my legs broken. <laughs> you know, I, I think about the, the, the negative side, right? But, but, but I actually land in the positive side, which is what you just said, Dietmar, which is, you know, where's home? Safely home. And, and the next one I had is for me to actually do this, I have to have a right view of God. I can't have a right view of God if, I, if I'm not letting the scriptures sink, sink deeply in my soul and, and let them, you know, cover me, right? And um, in fact that he he's in fact that he's invested in guarding my soul. I have a great adversary, and um, he knows that he is guarding me all the time, all the places. My question isn't question isn't how close can I walk to the edge. The question is is how close am I walking with him? Big. Bigger, different question. Jesse, can you close us in prayer? Thank you guys.